0: Hey, movie fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Uncharted Media Podcast. This is episode 73, doing things a little different, reintroducing some old concepts with today's discussion about five good things, starting us off with Batman and Robin. But first, before we get to any of that, Josh,
1: how are you doing today? I'm I'm hanging in there, man. Had a little bit of a rough weekend, but coming out of it on a good, uh, good, good leg. Um, despite my having a rough weekend, I had a couple buddies, um, win a ship like this past weekend. So awesome. Like a championship. So, yeah. <laughs> so um, that was really cool. That was the real, it was one, one of them was like a cu- the culmination of like legitimately four months of story. So that was like, everyone was like, <laughs> it was great. It was a lot of fun. Very cool.
0: Um, so, before we get into any of the news, and boy, howdy, do we have a lot of news to the yep. point of, I actually had to cut out a Star Wars story because we have so much other news to talk about. Um, we do. But, before we get to any of that, I wanted to make sure that I gave my quick thoughts and impressions about The Invisible Man, uh, because yes, it was one of my most I- anticipated movies of the year, and so I saw it opening night Thursday, and... um. I'm still processing how I feel about it.
1: Okay. Because well, normally normally when you go see something opening night, I get a text and this it did not happen this time. So I was honestly getting a little worried. Um, I will fully
0: acknowledge that I will be in the minority on this. I'm not saying this is a bad movie at all. As a horror movie goes, this is a very good movie. I'm only saying this as... I'm in the minority on this as I am a old school Invisible Man fan. If you are a Mm -hmm. horror fan, you Mm -hmm. will like this movie. If you like the classic Universal Monster adaptations, you probably will not like this adaptation. Okay. So that's where my conflict comes in. It's a really well-made movie. Um, And I'm still trying to piece together why I'm so on the fence about it. Because as a movie, it's really good. Elizabeth Moss does a really excellent performance. um, And I think that's part of where my issue is, is she is the main character. Whereas my experience with the Invisible Man, the Invisible Man was the main character. Do not go into this movie expecting, for lack of a better term, to see much of the Invisible Man. Yes, that there's a joke in there somewhere, but his presence is felt in other ways um not so much impacting physically the story and i was i liked the invisible man as a character in the original so i was kind of hoping for more of that and there really is nothing at all to tie it to the original source material and also i was dead wrong in my prediction earlier this year when i said it would connect to um future universal monster projects Mm -hmm. This is absolutely a standalone movie in and of itself, which is great for Lee Whannell. That's awesome. Uh, There's no teases, no connections, nothing. The only even remote connection to the original Invisible Man is that the original film's Invisible Man was named Jack Griffin. This one is Adrian Griffin. Um, That's the only connection is the last name. It is a really great movie. Um, There's certain elements that you kind of have to suspend your disbelief a little bit of like, um security cameras exist in this world. Or that doesn't seem very like um doesn't seem very feasible, but that's gonna be with any movie. Um so I'm still debating how I feel about it, because as a movie, it is really well done and it's excellent. It actually feels very much like it could exist in the same world as Upgrade. It was a really good movie, but as an Invisible Man movie, I'm less enthusiastic. Like if this movie was just titled something else, I think I would like it better.
1: Well, I mean, I guess that's, I fully acknowledge that's just me in the
0: minority in that I fully acknowledge that that's not going to be the case for 90% of the people that see this movie.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, that's, I mean, of the worst, things that could happen that's not the worst so i mean no it is a
0: really well made um, movie the you... performances are excellent i will say the music is on point like some of the best music i've heard in a horror movie since halloween 2018 good of this music that's actually, good the only thing that feels like the classic universal monsters is the music it's not piano heavy it's very string heavy
1: good that's and, smart
0: um I know some people were complaining that the trailer gives away the whole movie. Well, those people need to fess up and admit when they're wrong because there's a lot of revelations that are not shown in the trailer. Yeah. Well,
1: that's, that's So good, I would still um, highly
0: recommend it to people.
1: Look, well, okay. Well, that, that's good then. Uh, I know last time we were talking – You said that you were going to try to go see Parasite. Did you end up getting to go see Parasite? I
0: have not seen Parasite
1: yet. Okay. Thankfully, there's more showings for it. Yeah. Um, Cool. Let me know when you see it because I'm very curious on your thoughts because I'm very much on the fence of how I feel about it. So.
0: Yeah, my plan this week is I'll probably I might red box Parasite and then I want to see The Way Back on Friday. Mm, Yeah. Because I love me some Gavin O'Connor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yes, let us now get into some news because, oh, boy, do I have some strong opinions on this first one. Um, yeah,
1: I I, I kind of, I saw your Facebook about it. And
0: because I, I, I don't I'm, think people get how big of a deal this is. Um, yeah. For anybody that's listened to the podcast for a while, you know how livid I got with the Spider-Man, Sony deal and... I feel like that had another epic rant. I won't get – I because some days have passed, I've cooled down a little bit. But in terms of initial reaction and how much I hate this news, it's probably surpassing that. So yeah. what am I setting up here? Um, it was reported last week that Bob Iger, effective immediately, will be stepping down as CEO of Disney. We kind of known that that was happening because – He was supposed to retire in 2017 and then again in 2019, but he wanted to oversee the launch of Disney Plus and the acquisition of Fox. That's not the surprising thing. The thing that I'm super pissed off about is who he appointed to replace him. Uh, The new CEO, effective immediately as Iger will be helping usher in this transition, is Bob Chapek, who is the former head of Disney Parks division for the Walt Disney Company, Oh, boy. There's a lot to unpack here. And I guess I'm coming from the theme park bubble because I live in the area. So I kind of know the curse of Chapek better than most. Um, If you are a Disney fan, if you've grown up with Disney for any stretch of time in your childhood, be prepared. I'm warning you now. Be prepared for some very dark days for the company like Michael Eisner, Dark Days. It's going to be a very tumultuous time for the company. Mark my words. Why do I say this? Um, Bob Chapek has, I said, um, been overseeing the parks. Now, the parks, people will be like, oh, yeah, but they launched Star Wars Land, and revenue's at an all-time high. Yes, revenue's at an all-time high because he's nickel and diming everybody. Annual passes have gone up three, the price for annual passes have gone up three times within a single year. I get the annual passes go up, but charging people, adding to that three times in the span of a single year is overkill. And even then, he's basically, for those that play video games, Bob Chapek is the EA of CEOs. He... Loves him some microtransactions. Everything comes down to money and bottom line of Star Wars Land opens. Everything is ridiculously overpriced and you have to pay for everything. Want to build a lightsaber? Pay 200 bucks. Oh, you want to build a droid for cheaper? 80 bucks. And I get that that's Disney and people will pay whatever. But he's basically squeezing out the middle class and anybody below that. So... I know a lot of families that can't go to Disney anymore because they just can't afford it. Not only that of everything's money driven with him, there's always these like big grand plans that they have, and then he'll scrap the budget so that they stay in the black of it happened with Star Wars Land. That's why the critical reception wasn't hot when that park first opened. Uh, it happened with Toy Story Land. Of They had all these plans, and then because of him, they went over budget, and they had to Slash a whole bunch of stuff That was supposed to be in the land We were supposed to get a pizza planet In Toy Story And I'm still hot about that That we don't have it uh, Because of this sure. moron um, Star Wars Land When they announced it It was just like Yes, Bob Chapek oversaw the development of Shanghai, Disney, and Star Wars Land I'm going Both of those were huge Um, commercial failures at launch, especially Shanghai Disney. That went massively over budget by millions of dollars, which is what caused the escalation ticket prices for every other theme park. But my big issue with him, even more so than the money, is there's two major issues. One, the over-reliance on intellectual property of everything has to come back to the movie somehow. But two... He doesn't strike me or I've yet to see any evidence of him that he has any form of creativity. Of Iger was willing to try new things or be like, okay, what's the story we're telling here? What's the creative process that we get to make whatever? Like, Iger was willing to experiment and try new things and was creative. I got creative vibes from Iger and wanted to collaborate. Chapek seems like the stereotypical, this is the stock price, this is how we're going to help it, this is what we're going to do for the shareholders. Um, yeah. So I don't see him as a creative individual. And with his reliance so much on things that have come before, of, take for example, Epcot, which is stereotypically what the original vision for Epcot was, was just like, learn about the world and everything about it, of more like the kind of the educational park. Well, now Epcot's more or less completely transforming into... Well, we have to... Every single area of this park has to tie somehow into a movie that already exists. And that's happening with the rest of the parks. of Something has to tie into a movie that already exists. Which, if you are a Disney park, that doesn't really work... Because you have rides like It's a Small World or Pirates of the Caribbean... That are famous in their own right because they had time to do that. The last original, not based off of any movie that ever happened... Um, in a Disney park was in 2006 with Expedition Everest. That was the last non-movie-based attraction. And I get that they want to have synergy, but at the same time, you need to have creative, original ideas. So um, I took to Facebook when this story launched of with Chapek, if you think sequels and remakes are bad now, we're going to get a whole lot more with this guy because I think he sees certain value in older properties. And I don't see him as an experimental guy of every, his entire track record that I've seen so far is play it safe. Whatever keeps us in the black at the end of the year. And that's as a CEO, you've got to be willing to take risks. Disney plus was a risk. Um, Iger, I had some issues with Iger at times, but at the end of the day, he made a lot of good decisions for the company of buying Pixar, Good choice. Buying Marvel, good choice. Buying Lucasfilm, up for debate still, but I still think that was a good choice. Um, chapek cannot just keep making safe choices, which is unfortunately what he's been doing. Maybe he's been like making these safe choices up until he's been CEO just to prove that he can be financially savvy, but his track record up to this point has not convinced me otherwise that he's a good fit. I think there's a lot of other people more qualified. The only person that I'd be more pissed if they took over for Disney would be Kathleen Kennedy. Uh, But she's on her way out, I think. Uh, But Chapek is – oh, this is frustrating to me. And I'm glad we didn't record this the day that this news dropped or else it would just be about 30 minutes of me yelling and screaming – because I was actually at work when the news broke and one of my coworkers was just like, oh, Disney named their new CEO. And I hadn't even registered Chapek because I I didn't even think he was in the running. But he goes like, Bob Chapek? And I literally just screamed at work in frustration because this is absolutely the wrong choice for this. And yeah, if you're at Disney, I think a lot of people are not paying attention to this because they're just like, Oh, he's been working in the parks for 20 years. He knows the Disney way. I'm like, mm, no, look into, look, you can actually pinpoint the Bob Chapek era in terms of the numbers. Yes, the revenue goes up. But overall guest satisfaction goes way down of everything comes down to microtransactions with him, um, nickel and diming, literally everything. It all comes down to money with him, which you need to worry about money. But at the same time, You need that good balance of money guy and creativity guy. And to me, he has yet to show any form of creative juices. Yeah. Which makes sense. Uh, It's just... I never thought I'd say I'm going to miss Iger, but right now I'm going to miss Iger.
1: Yeah. Well, like, you know, all we can do at this point, I guess, is hope for the best. I mean, given that... uh, Like, his history... I, I I don't know if we can hope for the best here, but know we'll, yeah. we'll try because it's the best we can do. Hope for the best.
0: Expect the worst. Precisely. Now, this next news topic, I have some very controversial thoughts about, but what else is new with me? Um. So we're yeah. still apparently getting Indiana Jones 5 with Harrison Ford. Um,
1: Yay?
0: Yeah, yeah. Yay? I don't know. Um <laughs> <laughs> but appears, it appears now that Steven Spielberg has dropped out being too busy doing other things. And we have Logan and Ford v. Ferrari director James Mangold supposedly taking over. Um, before I get into my thoughts, Josh, what do you think about not only Indiana Jones 5, but James, Mang-
1: James Mangold taking over? Um, first of all, uh, the only reason to me to have Indiana Jones 5 is to give Indy a proper send-off that's not the Crystal Skull. Um, second, with Steven Spielberg not directing, uh, remind me real quick, was Spielberg like really involved with uh, Crystal Skull? He directed it,
0: but the alien storyline was George Lucas's idea. Okay. He's directed all um, of them.
1: Okay, that's, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. So... Have you seen Ford vs. Ferrari? Yes, I have. It's also in the voodoo. It's, it is. I, I keep meaning to watch it. Um but it's it's a, from all accounts that I've gotten, it's a very well done movie. Yes, it's um, very good. It was one of my favorite movies exactly. of last year. It was really so, well done. If anything, that gives me hope that that Marigold's gonna be taking over. Mangold or Marigold or Marigold I don't know why I said Marigold I'm sorry but uh, it, it's that he that he's taking over because uh, at least coming off of Ford versus Ferrari I'm not familiar if he with his other work but Logan
0: oh oh
1: then did Logan, yeah let's Ford do B this Ferrari
0: and walk the line
1: oh bro let's do this then <laughs> Like, if anybody knows – especially with Logan, if anybody knows how to give some character a proper send-off, that's – there you go right there, pal.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so here – so you're going to – you're echoing kind of my thoughts here. Um, My controversial thought is I think James Mangold at this point in his career is a better pick to do Indiana Jones than Steven Spielberg Um, because – Yeah. Yes, Steven Spielberg has directed all the Indiana Jones movies. Lately, Spielberg has kind of been—I don't want to say bad—playing um, it safe. I'll go with that. I like Ready yeah. Player One a lot; it was good. Other than that, a lot of his films lately have been very forgettable. Um, anybody see Bridge of Spies? Um, I think no. a lot of Spielberg is still a phenomenal director, but James Mangold hasn't made a Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Type movie So Yeah Like That unfortunately Is the last taste Of Indiana Jones We've gotten And it's a sour taste And yes I know that Whole Alien storyline Was more George Lucas's idea But still Spielberg directed it And yes I was I would have been excited For him to come back For Indiana Jones But I'm also More excited To see someone else Take the reins Because I I know some people Are really insistent of Well it's a Spielberg thing That's his baby I would like other people to take their interpretation of Indiana Jones. Now, I think this opens up the discussion more of, do we actually think that Harrison Ford will be for this? Because um, now that it's a new director, I could see them going, all right, let's just make this a fresh reboot. But maybe not. Like you said, James Mangold does know how to send characters off properly. Um, and yeah, I at this point in their careers... At this point in their careers, I think I would much rather have James Mangold direct Indiana Jones than Steven Spielberg. Not saying Mangold's the better director. Spielberg will always be one of, if not the greatest of all time. But over time, I think Spielberg's style has maybe shifted, and maybe he's not the best to be directing a 74-year-old Indiana Jones And mangled. Let's be honest, mangled's on more of a hot streak than Spielberg is lately.
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, Yeah, it's it feels like a smart decision. And honestly, if what would be wild to me, and this is me pitching by the seat of my pants here, is they did not only brought Ford back, but they bought brought Shia back. They're not bringing
0: Shia back. June? I didn't mind Shia's character that much, but a lot of people hated it, and I think Disney is aware of that. But also something people I are talking you. about. I'm is just this I'm, is yet I'm another thinking... Lucasfilm director that has left. Yeah. True. Everyone always talks about but, Star Wars, like, but Indiana Jones is Lucasfilm too. So again, somehow
1: this connects to Kathleen Kennedy. Somehow. It's all her fault. <laughs> Excuse me. I just like I'm thinking of the actor that shy has become now. And I feel like that would fit, you know, the son of Indiana Jones a lot better than the person he was back then. But then again, he is like shy himself has stated how much he hates big studio movies.
0: Yes. um, And again, I don't think they want to make any connection whatsoever to kingdom of the crystal skull. If they can help it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, speaking of, Franchises that probably want you to forget About their last entry It seems as though Jurassic Park Jurassic World 3 Has now begun filming and we now have Our official title for it Jurassic World Dominion And not only is it Jurassic World Dominion and it's now Filming but it seems like a lot of the Original cast from the first Jurassic Park Are coming back with Sam Neill Laura Dern and Jeff Goldblum But he was already back for Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom Um Josh, are you excited to see these original characters come back? Are you? Does the name Jurassic World Dominion do anything for you? What are your thoughts about this? I could care absolutely less, dude. The I, only <laughs> thing, the only thing right now that's getting me okay, I'll give this movie a chance. Um, because I'm not the biggest Jurassic Park fan. Like I like the first one. I even like Jurassic World, but. Everyone knows my thoughts on Fallen Kingdom. I think that movie's hot garbage. The only thing that's really getting me interested in this movie is not the original cast coming back, not the title. It's the fact that it's going to be Colin Trevorrow again who did Jurassic World. He's come back to do this one. It's not going to be the guy that did Fallen Kingdom. So maybe Colin Trevorrow can kind of rise to Skywalker this and kind of set it back on the path that he already intended – But also, as much as I hate Fallen Kingdom, we've discussed before, if nothing else, it sets up an interesting world for the sequel to, for the world of the sequel to live in with, spoiler alert, the dinosaurs now living among us in the real world. That's an interesting premise. And I think that's where the Dominion part comes in. It's going to...
1: You can't ignore it either. Like it's not like that's something you can just write off. Yeah. In an in, in this next film, it's not. I mean, I can see them trying to pass, like that, like being like, well yeah, we just we went and caught everything, caught them all, and that's okay now." It's Chris Pratt like, in a
0: live-action Pokemon movie. He's got to catch them all.
1: Exactly. Like that's what it's gonna. It would have to be. But like, I, I, I the last thing I want them to do is. Us come into this next film and then be like, "Oh yeah, everything turned out okay because we ended up catching all of them." Um, and then they just move along. There is one
0: rumor that I've heard out there that was like, "Actually, you say that, and it makes me kind of curious about the movie." Is that there might be some stuff involving um some snow scenes to which I'm like, "Oh," because maybe it's just me, but I'm kind of sick of the jungle aesthetic. For Jurassic Park, and I kind of want different um, climates. And if you told me like the Indominus Rex, I know it's been killed off, but the white Indominus Rex in a snow terrain—that's interesting to me.
1: Jeez, it, like, because like not only does would you have to deal with its camouflage, it, it's already naturally camouflaging with its white tone. That would be wild. Yeah, uh, I was like, as soon as somebody the, said snow, may- I was
0: like, I would, I want different climates because the closest we've gotten to quote-unquote different climates is the end of Jurassic Park 2 when there's a T-Rex in New York or something like that. Um, yeah. Everything else has been jungle, 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 jungle. I'm like, can we not get something else, please? I think it would be well, cool to have them in different areas or different climates. Yeah,
1: but the, the thing that we, you'll run into is... Technically speaking, dinosaurs can only exist in a very specific climate. So, Well, that's I see- in our
0: understanding of dinosaurs. Movie logic, we can do anything. There. We can have Dr. Wu be like, we injected them. We Since we created them, they're not cold-blooded.
1: I mean, okay, that hurts my soul a little bit, but it also makes sense. Because um- <laughs> they're manufacturing the dinosaurs, so they make up
0: the rules of their genetic makeup. Yeah,
1: basically. So they can be like, uh, they live in sewers now. It's a sequel to Crawl. It's a sequel. Some of them have become intelligent and learned karate. And some of them T- have T- lasers T- on their heads. Oh, man. I mean, it could be interesting. Don't get me wrong. I just All I want this time around is know, Chris
0: Pratt riding a T-Rex into battle.
1: Like, it's... I want, some, yeah, like, like, I want something new While, you know, Jurassic World Was basically just a rehash It was technically Force Awakens for ab- Jurassic Park Yeah, it, it was ex- Yeah, exactly But I still really enjoyed it But I'm really itching for something new Because uh, among a lot of things That Fallen Kingdom did wrong uh, They didn't do any new story Basically
0: Yeah Yeah um. And if nothing else, I think we'll get a new story this time around. Doesn't mean I'm particularly excited, but I'm more excited than I was before just because knowing that Colin Trevorrow is coming back and knowing that some of the original cast is coming back, which makes me go, okay, how much money did you have to throw at Sam Neill for this? Yeah,
1: because he he has not really wanted to be around this. No, he barely even came back for the third one. Yeah. So I just want
0: somebody to look we'll at him and See go,
1: what happens, Alan. <laughs> Alan. <laughs> just Jeez. as a flashback, <laughs> do something,
0: anything. Just, uh, just poke the bear there.
1: See, and what's been interesting this week with news was is it feels like for once we're actually getting quite a bit of like development news, especially with our next story with Creed Three finally being in development.
0: Yeah, everything is just taken off all at once, real quick. Uh, but yeah, I didn't think we'd be getting another Creed, if I'm being
1: honest. I agree. Um, a Creed. Especially the way that Creed 2 ends. Have you seen it? Of course I did. What? Okay. Come That's on, what, man. I, I, do have, I just didn't want didn't to assume. Um,
0: it's a Rocky movie. Of course I saw it opening night. <laughs> and I still have the controversial opinion
1: that I think Creed 2 is better than the first. Oh, I agree. Um, but the big thing is the way that they end it. It doesn't feel like you need another one. You know what I mean? See, here's where I'll
0: disagree. Kind of. I agree for the most part, but I'll disagree in the fact of Creed Two is the end of Rocky's story, but you could still tell more stories with Adonis, which is essentially oh, what the enough. title is. Is it's Creed. I think uh Creed one started the handoff of the franchise to Adonis, but two more or less like, Rocky let go of the handoff and the ball is firmly
1: in the court of Adonis now. Fair enough. So, with that being said, you, do you think in three, obviously, Rocky has to be, like, dead? Or
0: doesn't like show have, up at all.
1: Yeah. like I m- can see him start- not showing up at all. I can see that as well but like he has to be there has to be a like legitimate reason because they Adonis and him are so close that even if he was just like so sick he he's at home Adonis would go and visit him. I mean he helped him through that the cancer diagnosis. So like there's no reason for him to not show up unless he's passed away.
0: I think because I think you wouldn't have Rocky in it just because he lashed onto Adonis because that was Kind of an extended family for him Because his own family He was kind of estranged with But now that he's connected back with them I think he's willing to let Adonis Have his own family Because they both have More or less They haven't broken up But Rocky has his family now And Adonis now has his family With his daughter So Yeah I agree
1: It's I mean Honestly He shouldn't Show up I wouldn't I'm not gonna mind if he does Of course not It's Uh, freaking Rocky yeah, it's it's Stallone's best character because um, he goes to the same wavelength. Anyway, um, but he he there has to be I think more purpose now from him showing up. Uh, you know, if he does show up, maybe it's a, at the hospital bed, or maybe it's just even in the beginning where they're all having a family dinner, and he he's you know sh- you know shooting the breeze with Adonis's mom. Like that would be super rad to me, is having them just kind of shooting the breeze.
0: Hmm.
1: Um. Now he's he's kind of accepted his retirement, so to speak.
0: Take out any Rocky conversation at all and just shift it back to Adonis. What do you see the storyline being for Creed Three? Because Creed Two, I really, it's one of my favorite in the whole series, but that essentially was just like. All right, let's take a dash of Rocky Two, a dash of Rocky Three, and a whole lot yeah. of Rocky Four, and just yeah. amalgamate it all into one movie. Um, do you see it retreading any of the other Rocky movies, or do you see it being its own thing? What if you could pitch Rock uh, Creed Three? What would you turn it into?
1: That's what I'm trying to think of because so the first you know every fighting movie you know every series like that has certain steps right. Uh, You know, your first one, he fights for himself. His second one, the second film, he fights for his family. So then, because, you know, a movie... And then the third one, normally, it gets
0: taken away from him. Yeah, something has to happen. But he got it kind of taken away from him in the second
1: one. Exactly. So it's like, I don't quite know um where to go story-wise from that's why i'm saying like they finished it up it, it finished it up quite nicely is because he's it, i'm not saying they put a big old bow on it but i am saying like story-wise where else do you pull from because he's you know like what's he gonna do like uh com- commemorate the fight to like if his mom dies or something you know like it's It'd be the same thing almost as, as one because Rocky almost dies and he's so attached to him. And so he's like, that's – I'm doing this for me. I'm doing this for Rocky. Like, you know. So I, I don't quite know where you go from here.
0: I would like a new – I won't even say villain. I'll say a new antagonist just because um a lot of the Creed ones, except for the first uh, – the Creed first Creed didn't have this. But I would like the it to go back to that first Creed movie of – a completely untied to anything character as the antagonist. Yeah. Like so many people are just like, maybe it could be Clubber Lang's kid. N- no, no, just no. No, 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 no. Or it could be Tommy feel- Gunn's kid. I'm like, let's not acknowledge Rocky Five, please. Yeah. Um, I let's think, just have it yeah, be no, somebody I, I'll new. Agree with like you on that. the first Creed movie, it was somebody that wasn't at all connected to anything else in Rocky lore, but it was someone from Creed's past like that he had trained with. Why not? Let's do something yeah. like that again.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And get back to the feel of Creed one with, especially like that long first take of the fight in Mexico. Oh, Oh, gorgeous. Um, but like, you know, I, I would agree with that. I think the last thing you want to do with this Creed series is outside of what they did in two, And that's what made part of it so special because Rocky and Creed are so tight, but I don't think you need – retreading old Rocky stuff is not the answer. It's going to – that, to me, would cheapen the, the Creed you know, trilogy for you to, just to keep going back and retreading.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, yes, Creed 2 I really, really like, and there's a lot of um, familiar themes from old Rocky movies. Three, make it your own. Do something really different. Have them fight on the moon. Yeah. I don't care.
1: <laughs> Rock Creed X <laughs> Oh jeez
0: <laughs> No he fights um, Somebody that we'll talk about later The guy from Black Panther Not Black Panther uh, The guy from um, That played Black Manta Have him be the antagonist
1: <laughs> Okay to be fair That man is, a, is scary looking Right He's, That is an opposing man I um I wouldn't be opposed to that. We'll talk about him in a little bit here. Um,
0: but I think I think we're both pretty excited for another Creed movie. If they if they do actually go forward with this, it's just a matter of, we don't know where it would go from here. But let's yeah, be honest, exactly. not knowing where the franchise is going to go is nothing new for Rocky. Yeah, absolutely. But like, every single one, it's like, where do they go from here?
1: Oh, yeah. They find a way. I feel like. In the, ba- in the past, that's been a negative of like, well, I don't know what you – what do you want to do now? like. But here it's, okay, well, we've told two really good stories. Where do we go from here?
0: Yeah, you have this whole – it's a Rocky movie without Rocky. You have an open slate now to do whatever you want to try and do. Exactly.
1: What would be really wild to me um, is – out of left field, have somehow Raging Bull have a son if you're really going to go down that road and have really, them go. I, dude. I can, it was just, I'm pulling stuff out of my butt at this point because I don't, I don't know where you would go.
0: No idea, but I have faith in the people doing it that'll end up being great,
1: yeah. Um, speaking of uh, having faith in projects. <laughs> oh, my goodness.
0: Um, okay. I'm not going to lie. I got real giddy when this news dropped. So uh, this may come as no surprise to some of you, but I like Uncharted a lot. And we naturally no have been way, following really? the progress on this film. Um, so far, we've got Tom Holland as Nathan Drake. It, I'll defend it. Um, even if it's not the choice that a lot of people, myself included, really would have gone with or the direction we would have gone with. And we have Mark Wahlberg as Victor Sullivan, which I'm adamantly against. That's such horrible miscasting, but we don't know in the movie yet. Um, I'll be honest, we have more casting, and this is the first one that I'm genuinely excited and 100% on board with. So the Uncharted movie has now officially cast Antonio Banderas in the film in an unspecified role, as well as, like, two other roles that I might talk about in a little bit here. But um, Antonio Banderas, I am 100% on board with this. Um, It never hurts to add talent to your movie, and Antonio Banderas was just nominated for Best Actor in this past year's Academy Awards. So clearly, this guy is great. And I've liked him for a lot of years. Admission, the first time I saw him was in the Spy Kids movies, but I've seen him in other stuff since, and he's just great. Um, I can't help but shake the feeling that he's probably going to be the main villain, and if he's not, please make him the main villain, because I can see him being a phenomenal bad guy. Um, but, Josh, you see Antonio Banderas in an Uncharted movie. Does this make you more excited, less excited? What do you make of Antonio Banderas?
1: Um, I'm like you, man. I'm a huge fan of Antonio. Um, and like you, I, the first time I was aware of his... Uh, actually, you know what? Unlike you, now that I'm thinking about it, I was Your just... Your first experience think was from Dust Till Dawn. No, it was Mask of Zorro.
0: Really? I saw that later in life, so... So I I okay weird
1: fun weird fun facts with Josh right? So I wasn't allowed to watch yeah yay I wasn't allowed to watch, uh, yeah, uh, allowed to watch things grow, like early on like Teenage uh, Ninja Turtles and Power Rangers it did stop me from getting them from the library but you know without my mom knowing until she saw me watch them <laughs> but. Uh, one of the few things that I got that was okay, for whatever reason, was like the OG Zorro movies. How was that okay? There's heads in jars. Yeah, Tony. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like the, I'm talking about the ones the movies made like way before Antonio Banderas' Zorro movie. So then, like I man, I was like, oh, I've seen these a thousand times. I've checked them out, you know, a couple hundred times. Um, what is this new one? Mask of Zorro, blah, blah blah. So like, I picked that up, and I like, I got to watch it at like eleven years old or something like that. <laughs> Dark movie, man. You no, know, it's great. It's fantastic. But that, that that was my first interaction with Antonio. So it's like, so then seeing him in Spy Kids was a little weird at first. So it was like, why is Zorro like a spy? I mean, it makes sense, but why? <laughs>
0: Which Spy Kids? The older I get, the weirder it gets. Oh yeah, but of like, the like, I it. is the weirdest villain ever it. in a movie, but also who was the casting director that got Cheech Marin to be the clean uncle?
1: But <laughs> I think with my a fake mustache. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite casting in, in that series people. is uh, Steve Buscemi's character. <laughs> Which
0: can we acknowledge for a second that Steve Buscemi like went 120% in that Spy Kids movie and he had no reason to, but he went all out for us and had that great line of like, do you think God is in heaven because he's afraid of his creations in a kid's movie?
1: And like, as a kid, I was like, oh yeah, good point, Steve Buscemi, but let's get back to the monsters. (laughs) Now I'm just like, so Steve,
0: that wasn't in the script, but appreciate the effort.
1: I guarantee. That's the same movie that they make camel poop jokes. <laughs> it's the same movie that they have Junie explaining to some rich girl why Slitterbond is closed <laughs> in the fall. It was Slitterbond. Oh no, no I think that's the
0: third one. No, I, that's the third I, one that is Slitterbond. Be- yeah, because they're broken up because the because uh, yeah, G- uh, yeah, yeah, Carmen's yeah. in the video and game.
1: Yeah, because Junie's, Junie's trying to find something to do while his sister's gone. And isn't that girl
0: that he's explaining why it's closed? Isn't that Selena Gomez?
1: It's uh, yeah, it's somebody. It's I think it's Selena or I, it's somebody from Disney Channel. I know that.
0: But to get back to Antonio Banderas. Yes. <laughs> Spy Kids, you do weird things. And also,
1: George Clooney was the president. Yeah. I mean, that's not surprising. Like, who else would you do as a president? Come on. Bill Pullman. Okay.
0: <laughs> um, I'm all, like I said, I'm all on board for this. I hope he's the villain. Really. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was uh, also I, confirmed it's... that Ruben Fleischer will be the one directing this. We kind of speculated about that. This guy did. Uh, both the Zombieland movies and Venom, so not my first pick. I really wish we could have kept Travis Knight, but um, Ruben Fleischer is a good enough name. The other names that were cast is um, Tati Gabrielle from uh, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Don't really know that name. And Sophia Ali, which I don't really know her name either, but I looked up the actresses and Sophie Ali, Sophia Ali looks a lot like she could be a young, um, Chloe Frazier from uncharted two and three. So I wouldn't be surprised if they go that route because that's one of those characters that you could introduce into the world because in the games, they clearly have a history together. So maybe they meet when they're younger. Um, but the big headline here is clearly, um,
1: Antonio Banderas (laughs) and And it's, I mean, honestly, and I think I've said this before, whenever you if you need a villain for especially for a series like Uncharted, he has to be a strong actor because it's there's so much more subtlety in, in working at working as a villain than I at least personally than I would say uh, for your, your good guy. Like, I mean, Tom Holland basically has his work cut out for him. He's got four games of Nathan Drake to study, whereas Bandera's at least from, he can make it point. his own. Exactly. He make it his own. It's a brand new character. He can do whatever he wants with it, but he has to build the backstory in all of the subtle movements. So it's, it'll be, it'll be interesting to say the least. Um,
0: uh, it makes um, me more happy. Just we're getting more casting, which makes me think, okay, yeah, we're clearly doing this soon. And Tom Holland might've
1: actually been right when he said we're filming soon. Yeah, actually that, that, that was going to be going to be one of the next things I said was like it, if if they are having casting announcements, oh, they're definitely moving forward with this.
0: Because when Tom Holland said we're really close to filming, I was like, well, right now it's two people and a director, so it's clearly not going to be room, but we need more yeah. people. And now we have more yeah, people, exactly. so I'm on
1: board with this. <laughs> Unless they've like somehow been keeping, which I don't know why or how, but having the casting news, like, under a rock somewhere and not announcing it Which would be really, really interesting to me If a movie did that Especially as something with such high-profile high uh, IP
0: Well, they did it with J.K. Uh, Simmons and Spider-Man They did, true, exactly So
1: it's like, I don't see why you couldn't do that So True I don't know why you always have to announce the cast
0: Now, speaking of um, IPs This is one that I don't think is that big of a name But after this movie comes out, I think it will be – it was at one point, but I think it will be a big name again, and that's Candyman, a new reimagining from the mind of Jordan Peele. Now, I think it's important to be um, distinct that this is not directed by Jordan Peele. It was just written and produced by Jordan Peele. I know a lot of people are attaching his name to this, but Jordan Peele is not the one directing this movie. Now we have our first trailer for Candyman. Um, I'm I have some mixed thoughts. I have some goods and some bads. Um, but before I get into those, Josh, have you seen the original Candyman? And what are your thoughts on this trailer?
1: I I remember vaguely seeing the first one, very vaguely. But I was, I mean, I don't think anybody would be surprised if I said that. I'm not – outside of really Halloween, I've never really been into the old school, you know, supernatural slashers. Um, because like Gremlins, I'm not – I don't like Gremlins. I'm not – like Scream is good, but eh, I can go, go with or without it. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's in Candyman, always felt to me like, a, like a, a B-level horror movie just with how it was made. Now <laughs> – with how this trailer portrays everything i'm actually kind of excited it's you know you have a a main character that is just really fascinated by, about a legend to the point where he accidentally reawakens that legend which is you know a story as old as time and in, in horror but the way that it feels like it's coming across in this trailer feels fresh
0: so um, they dropped a poster for this on, like, a Monday or a Tuesday, and then they said the is coming Thursday. So, uh, Candyman, the original, is on Netflix, so I watched it on, like, Monday or Tuesday. And I'll be honest, I was very pleasantly surprised by it. I It had a lot more depth than I was expecting, but as I'm watching it, I'm going— Okay. Yep. I could see why Jordan Peele wants to update this because the whole concept of Candyman is he's more or less the inner city version of the boogeyman of, yeah, he basically has been the one overseeing and terrorizing this, um, low income housing unit and the surrounding areas. Um, and of course on. Up until this point, really going after—he's really the nightmare of a certain demographic. So I can see why um, Jordan Peele wants to update that, and you could definitely get that vibe in the trailer. I love the fact that uh, at the beginning um, he's explaining how Candyman works of like say it five times in a mirror and he'll peer behind you and kill you. Uh, and he's, and the girls just like who's dumb enough to do that? And it immediately shows five white girls in front of a mirror. Yep. And I'm like. Oh yep, that's exactly who'd be dumb enough to try this. Um, but you can clearly get that um, societal difference in this trailer. I'm the original had some really interesting social commentary that actually I really enjoyed for the most part. I think the ending kind of goes off the rails a little bit and gets a little too out there, which is a drastic departure from the rest of the movie, but it had a lot to say about the environment that it was in. So I get why Jordan Peele wanted to do it now for the, how it could tie into the original. I don't know if this is confirmed, uh, but in the original movie, um, it basically revolves around Helen, who's a grad student. That's more or less trying to uncover the legend of the Candyman, And she goes to this, um, low income housing development and, um, Through this and the other thing, a baby gets kidnapped by the Candyman, and she more or less has to surrender herself to him in order to set the baby free. Now, I don't know if this is confirmed or not, but it's been suggested that that baby is Yahya Abdul-Mateen's character that we see at the beginning of the trailer all grown up. And so he has this, like, connection to the Candyman, and that's why he's so fascinated by him.
1: Oh. That's actually...
0: Pretty interesting. Which makes me kind of go, okay, so this clearly, this trailer is clearly telling us that the Candyman wants like a body to inhabit or something, and Yahya Abdul Mateen is going to become the Candyman by the end of the movie.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um,
0: one thing that I'm not a huge fan of in this trailer is it, maybe this is just how I'm reading it from the trailer, is. In the original Candyman, you say his name five times and he shows up in the mirror behind you and kills you. Like, almost like teleports to your location. In this trailer, uh, it kind of seems like you say his name and he attacks you on the mirror side of things. Like, he doesn't Mm -hmm. show up in your world, but, like, it's almost like the movie Mirrors with Kiefer Sutherland of you get attacked. Your reflection gets attacked in the mirror and whatever happens in your reflection happens to you. Um, that looked like it was happening in the trailer in a couple shots. And I'm like, um, I'm not out sure how I'm feeling about that just cause that's not the mythos that I know from the first one, but it could be Fair. a Freddie versus Jason situation of the actual Candyman needs someone to manifest into to come back to his full strength. And that's the shot yeah. at the end where you see Yaya Abdul-Mateen's character. And then in his reflection is Tony Todd's. So yeah, exactly. I think it's pretty safe to say Tony Todd will be back for this movie because it's not like a Michael Myers or Jason Voorhees where different people have donned the mask. There's only
1: been one Candyman actor. Yeah. And it honestly, because he's like a spirit, so to speak, it, it totally works in my mind for it to still be him and him either be old or like, you know, you don't have to change much.
0: Yeah, um, I could see him being the main Candyman, but at, by the end of the movie, I see Yahya Abdul-Mateen's character becoming the new Candyman.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, I would not be surprised at all.
0: Um, but there's a lot of visuals that are a nice callback to the first one with, like, there's the, the church, the open mouth, the references to the housing development, of course, the bees, which means Nicolas Cage confirmed as Candyman.
1: Yep, honestly, Nicholas Cage in this movie would like as a uh, Candyman historian would be the f- just the funniest. Like having him scream like they're like, "Well, what what are the, what are the telltale signs?" Well, blah blah blah. He's going down the list. He goes he just the goes, bees. bees. Oh, not the
0: bees. bees. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you are at all curious, and I'd even say Josh recommend check it out on Netflix. The original is a lot better than I was expecting it to be, and I think it doesn't get talked about as much just because I don't... I think it was ahead of its time in terms of what it talks about. But... Fair enough. Uh, it makes me curious. I can I won't say I'm like... It's my most anticipated movie of the year, but it makes me at least curious enough, especially having seen the original now that I'm like, okay, I could see why people... This scared people for a while. I'll, I'll probably check this one out. Doesn't mean I'm yeah. the most hyped just because so far, a lot of Jordan Peele's horror projects haven't really panned out for me. Um, no. But... I'll, I'll check this one out. Now, one that I know you will check out along with maybe 15 other people um, is the Artemis Fowl movie, which again has a trailer. I feel like we were talking about this trailer literally a year ago, but now we have a new trailer, and this movie has a new release date of May. Um, I'll start this one off. Oh, boy. I can smell the stank from here. This movie looks so bad. And maybe it's because I'm not... I I like. I read the first Artemis Fowl, so I wasn't super familiar with whatever was happening in the trailer, but I got serious, like, stinker bombs of this looks so generic and so safe sci-fi kids adventure of, like, so ununique of... Just yeah. what the heck is going on? Josh Gad looks super weird. I, I didn't even know Colin Farrell was in this movie, but there he is. It looks... Also, the kid... At least from the trailers. The kid acting is terrible. Artemis Fowl's performance seems so stiff and awful. Like, fluctuating accents and stuff. Uh, this trailer... I was kind of laughing. Um, I'll be honest. Of well I think I'll be right at least about one thing Of this movie I'm now More convinced than ever that this will bomb Josh as the resident Artemis Fowl fan do you see This any different or are you kind of in the same Boat
1: I A part of me I, I had two reactions To this trailer The first And you know more prominent reaction was Is the one that you had of like, oh no, this looks worse. But also, there's certain aspects of like, okay, well, at least we have kind of a story now. Um, But at the same time, like, I don't know. Because the thing about Artemis Fowl is always that he's very, very smart, blah, blah, blah. And there's certain scenes that, at least from the vibe that I'm getting from this trailer, that we'll never get. Like, one of my favorites are Artemis Fowl books, and one of the climaxes of it He's literally having, like, he's trying to shoot um, some guy in the head, but the guy's manipulating the time space continuum or whatever, and so he had, like, there's portals opening all around him, and so he has to figure out which portal to shoot through because he only has, like, two or three shots left. And so he literally figures out, okay, this one, I'm going to shoot through this one, it'll go through this, blah, 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 blah. And, like, all this, like, really cool timing that, like, only, like, someone super genius would have to, would be able to do to get, to, you know, kill the guy that's causing all the problems, but it's, it's it's not a kid, it's for kids, but it's not a kid's book, you know what I mean, like, in a lot of ways that Lord of the Rings is a kid's book, but it is not a kid's book, so it's, I, I just i feel like i agree like i feel like they're going too safe on this that's not like they're not just diving headfirst into the lore of of and this foul and you know to be fair it is a very safe on the surface anyway a very safe like kids sci-fi fantasy book but it dives into some really tough stuff of like You know gentrification and like racism but like racism to the point it's yeah you're using excuse me fantasy fantasy characters to tell the story of what racism is doing to our society today but it's it's i don't get the vibe that they're gonna do that it feels like a white person got a hold of this story like a white exec got a hold of this story and was just like hey this seems like it could make a few bucks let's do that instead of like oh well there's some really interesting themes and, and, you know, storytelling details that we could really bring about in, in today's world and would really have a good social commentary, but also be a fun sci-fi film. But I don't get that feeling from this feels just like, Hey kids, white boys don't have enough people to look up up to. Let's go do this movie.
0: It looks (sighs) like the kids version of Jupiter ascending. Yes. And that's not a good
1: thing. No, (sighs) not at all.
0: Um, like unfortunately oh. i think disney like kind of knows when they have a flop on their hands and they will like market like i didn't want to compare this movie to john carter cuz you and i both love it but from the way yes. that it's edited in the trailer i got john carter vibes yes if that's that makes the sense other thing. Of, like the trailer felt very similar to it
1: yes and that's the other thing that's i've got that in the back of my head of okay, they're marketing this as trash, but that also tells me that there's a chance that it's just Disney execs that think it's trash and that it could actually be a pretty decent movie.
0: The only thing that gives me about a little bit of optimism of, okay, uh, maybe this movie could work, is that it's going to be directed by Kenneth Branagh, who is actually a good director, and I s- still claim that he directed one of the more underrated MCU movies with the first Thor. Um, yes. Yes. He is a good director, so we'll see. Um, but yeah, this trailer did nothing for me. I thought it looked real bad.
1: Yeah, and that's the problem right now. Is I feel that they're trying to st- come in at the beginning of Artemis Fowl's story, and from my re- like, from what I remember about the books, you never really s- come in at the beginning. It's, also, it's-
0: this m- movie is coming out literally like 15 years too late
1: you, that's the other thing Because this is, came,
0: if I remember correctly Artemis Fowl came out like during the height of the Potter years
1: yes and in some ways it kind of got lost under the fold because of that but it it came out in that height and it did to me it kind of melded meld, meld the worlds of, of magic and science very well but so which yeah, makes which
0: means Kenneth Branagh should be a good choice for this, but it still just looks so
1: generic. Yeah, it does. It, it feels like, like yeah, he he's he's gonna the director's gonna do the best that he can to make this the make this trash heap of a of a script work.
0: Yes. Um, well, speaking of trash heap, before we get into our main discussion, Josh, you got a sponsor for us this week.
1: Um, honestly, let's do today's sponsor is brought to you by ramen because I've recently rediscovered ramen. Like, you know, in high school, you eat the, the, uh, you know, the little really cheap eat it dry. ramen pack. And I couldn't, I, I actually, I physically cannot even smell those anymore or I'll, I'll like, I get really sick because I, we I ate them so often in college. It was just, mm-mm. but like, I've recently rediscovered all the ramen shops in Houston like a lot of ramen shops in Houston and I'm like blown away that I would ignore these, (laughs) this, this food.
0: (laughs) I'm still, I still eat my ramen, like the packets and I'm still the weird kid that will get the chicken ones
1: and eat it raw. All right. So it's so so good though. It's yeah. All right. We're going to ignore that because I don't want to have this heated discussion about how disgusting I think that is. But, um, yeah, let's, uh, let's uh, talk about a good but bad movie.
0: <laughs> okay, so preface this off the top. Liked this movie as a kid, hated this movie as an adult comic book fan, rewatched it now twice for two separate five good things, and I've kind of come full circle in this movie of I will never like this movie again like I did as a kid, but also yeah. never hate this movie as much as I did Again either because Rewatching it now With a different set of eyes I understand At the time what director Joel Schumacher was going for And I think For better for worse In what he was going for He succeeded It's just not what comic book fans Wanted and we'll talk about it more But in terms of what he wanted to do He actually did A lot of it Spot on, it just was not yes. what people wanted at the time from a Batman movie Absolutely It is not a poorly made movie by any stretch, like some other movies we've done five good things on It's just the wrong movie for the wrong time If this came out many, many years before I think if this movie came out before Christopher Reeve's Superman, people would like it better
1: Yes So let's, I'm going to start off right off the bat. My number five thing about this film is that like, as a kid, this movie is so much fun. Like there's like, you know, there's, there's the ice skating. There's all these like really fantastical like elements that don't quite make sense unless you're looking through it through a certain lens. And outside of being a kid, there's, I mean, there's another one I'll talk about later, but it, it, it's a lot of fun. It's not like this, oh, my parents are dead. Oh, I'm going to do something about it. There's tons of crime, blah, blah, blah. Like It's, it's a big, fantastical comic book movie that's a lot of fun.
0: Uh, this isn't one of mine, but just a quick side note, and this is going to piss off a lot of comic book fans, but I don't care. This movie might... Acknowledge and know the comic books better than we give it credit for. Yeah, I agree. Um, but yeah, I'll talk about that later, specifically from my number four my number three. But for now, my number five is the music. I think the music yeah. in this is phenomenal. Um, a little bit cheesy at times, but it feels... Like, it does kind of belong in that same Danny Elfman, uh, 89 Batman universe, a very grand, but at the same time a little whimsical. But it feels like the world it inhabits, uh, for better or for worse at times. But I think the music really, really works for Batman and Robin. Um, It's big. It's bombastic. It, It encapsulates what the movie is but it does it really, really well. And even in the quieter moments, which are definitely on my list that we'll talk about later, um, it knows when to dial it in, and the music in those quieter moments really hits home and makes the scenes that much more powerful.
1: Yep. Um, I, uh, I would agree, because like, there's, I mean, it's Danny Elfman, and we talk a lot of crap about the mo- like this movie. I think majority of the reason, because it's easy to talk crap about Batman and Robin. But the, the music is definitely it's one of the high hype moments. For me, and this is just because of my sense of humor, my number 4 is definitely the script. I is really? a lot of moments. Yes. Now, I'm not going to sit here and sit, try to sell you that <laughs> that it is one of the most masterfully written scripts ever. However, you know my sense of humor you know that I, all of the puns are killing me. <laughs> it is, again, it's a lot of fun. Like when, when, uh, your know, freezes is, uh, doing his little spiel and you know people are ice skating and he is like, you know, you know, uh, so, you know, I caught you cold or something. You know what I mean? Like that, like that, those kinds of scenes and all those puns are like, they're getting to me, and I'm laughing, and I'm having fun with, the, with an actual Batman movie, and it feels like a very specific era of of uh, of Batman that I think, as a kid, I, really, I I really attached to.
0: I think, yeah, those puns feel like they came out of the 1960s Batman TV series, which I watch all the time on TV Land, which explains why I liked Batman and Robin as a kid, because... Yeah, this movie feels like it fits in that universe.
1: Exactly.
0: <laughs> Even though Mr. Freeze only showed up in one episode of that generation, but whatever. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I did some digging for my number four just because the moment that it happens in the movie, I was like, wait, what? I've seen this before, but in reverse. So we have a moment in this movie that actually may or may not have inspired something that later will happen in the comic books. So instead of a comic book movie taking inspiration from the comics, the comics may or may not have actually taken inspiration from one of the worst Batman movies ever made. And it's when, (laughs) towards the end of the movie, when Poison Ivy is, it's either the middle or the end. It's one of the times that Poison Ivy is trying to summon um, Robin to tempt him. And she mm-hmm. flashes a Robin signal up in the sky. And I see that. Yes. I'm going, Holy crap. That's from a Nightwing issue. Because yep. um, in one of the story arcs, Blockbuster, uh, Nightwing's like big arch enemy, has more or less taken over the Bloodhaven Police Department back when he was a police officer. It's like his lowest hour and uh, all hope seems lost just because this is in the middle of the god-awful tarantula storyline, um, but his, op- his partner at the police station flashes for the one and only time in all Nightwing comics up in the sky, a Nightwing symbol, like a night signal, more or less like the Bat symbol, but with the Nightwing logo. And I'm watching Batman and Robin and the symbol is spot on, like exactly oh, like the comic. But here's the crazy thing. The Batman and Robin movie came out in 1996. That issue of Nightwing came out in 2004. Yeah, which is crazy. I'm watching them going, holy crap, that's the Nightwing symbol up in the sky. That was only ever used once. And I looked it up and it's was like, that dope. had to have been before this movie. No, they actually were reversed. I'm going, that was such a cool moment in the comics because it was just like Nightwing at his lowest moment. But the fact that they used the actual like spot-on logo um, and signal, I was like, this is so weird. But um, yeah. on the flip side of that, my number four is also kind of a two-parter because I talked earlier about this movie may be more in touch with the comics and we would like to give it credit for because... People make fun of Chris O'Donnell's Performance in these movies as Robin And I'm not here to defend him at all And a lot of people hate on the costumes In Batman and Robin, which I'm not defending at all But The suit that Robin wears In Batman and Robin Mm -hmm. Take off the nipples and the cape And tell me that's not a perfect Nightwing costume Yep It is so spot on And here's the weird thing That I actually had to do my research again I was just like Okay, when did we get, because as we know, anybody that knows Dick Grayson's story is he had that terrible blue and yellow, we call it disco Nightwing suit when he first debuted in Tales of the Teen Titans number 44 in 1984, which made me go, okay, when did he transition to the black and the blue, like the iconic like um, V design that we have now? He got that design in 1995,
1: So after this movie?
0: No, so right before. Like, as this movie was filming, they transitioned to this Nightwing logo. So Joel Schumacher actually may have, like, been basing the Robin design on that really early Nightwing costume that we got in 95. That's super wild. Because as much as that suit's bad, take the nipples off the suit and take away the cape and just transform the red to blue and tell me that's not like pitch
1: perfect suit. Oh, exactly. And that's where actually you've transitioned me really well into my number three, which is if you took the nipples off a lot of the costume, like not just the bat suit and, and you know, Batman and Robin, not just their suits, but all of the, the costuming for the villains for the most part outside of Bane um, is really, really spot on. And it's the really good costumes.
0: Yeah, like, Mr. Freeze's... I don't think people talk about that one a lot, but that one's actually not that bad. It's really it's good, a lot of yeah. dialogue that comes out of Mr. Freeze that people have issues with, but in terms of the yeah. look of
1: the suit, it's not that bad. Well, and even, like, uh, Uma Thurman's plays an Ivy, who I'll talk about later, like, hers is, is very spot on. And as far as the what time. you can get... For the time, and what you can get away with in a kid's movie. Um... <laughs> Yes. It's very spot on. And even like her lair is very spot on as well. Uh, But no, like, I spent like nightly, uh, not nightly, Robin's costume, if you took the the nipples off, is awesome. Um, Clooney's, all of them, including like the weird transition randomly to the silver uh, suits, like they all look cool if you didn't have the distracting nipples on.
0: Yes, but I just thought it was so weird. And interesting that we get this new designed Nightwing suit in 95 and not even less than a year later, that suit is more or less in a film. Like, okay, Schumacher, I'll give you credit for that of you were right on the cutting edge of something that just happened in the comics. And then you foreshadowed something that would later happen in the
1: the comics too. Yeah, it what really gets me for it is, and because they are spandex, they actually really look how if, you know, Batman made a spandex suit without any armor, that's what it would look like.
0: Yes. Um, and so we briefly talked um, about Mr. Freeze's design. While his design isn't my number three, Mr. Freeze, there's some elements of him that are definitely my number three. And again, it comes back to I don't think we give Joel Schumacher enough credit for maybe he knew the current Batman better than we thought because my number three is a two-parter. The main part of it being Mr. Freeze's origin of what his backstory is with Noah Freeze. Why is this on this list? Because everyone seems to think that's the common knowledge now. Well, again, this movie came out in 96. The new established storyline that we know for Mr. Freeze about his wife uh, being terminally ill and being frozen until he can find a cure. That was only introduced in Batman animated series in the Heart of Ice episode in 1992. Mm -hmm. So that was still a relatively new development for the character of Mr. Freeze. So it was cool of Joel Schumacher to be like, okay, this is the story for Freeze now. And for better, for worse, now people know that that is the story of Mr. Freeze. So Batman and Robin, people know that it's a bad movie, but they also now know Mr. Freeze's story. So the cool thing with Batman and Robin is they made the the animated series' backstory more or less mainstream to everybody. Now they know that's Mr. Freeze's story. And yeah. it was still a relatively new thing. And I think that's super cool, Schumacher, to again be like, okay, What's currently happening with these characters? Yeah. Yes. Some other executions wasn't necessarily the most spot on, but in terms for Mr. Freeze, that was his finger was right on the pulse of, okay, this is what's happening in probably the most beloved Batman adaptation with the animated series. This is what's happening with the character there. Let's kind of take that character in that direction. And the second part of my number three is again something to do with Mr. Freeze is when he's thrown in jail um, about halfway through the movie, He's all alone in his cell before Poison Ivy breaks him out, and he's just got that wind-up of his wife, almost like a, mm. um, oh, what's it? I forget what they're called. The wind-up um, yeah, music, box, little type music box And in that moment, yes, the costume looks kind of wonky, but the music does such a beautiful job of kind of showcasing the emotion and the sadness that Victor's feeling in that moment. And in a movie that's devoid of a lot of good emotional moments, that one is one that I think they could have dragged out a little bit longer just because it was actually really, really well done of seeing Mr. Freeze sad and mourning his wife, essentially.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it really, and I think there's a part of them in that moment that does come across that is, he doesn't know if he'll ever be able to save his life. Not necessarily because he's in jail, but just in general, he doesn't know if it's scientifically possible. Agreed. Um, what's your number two? Um, so Uma Thurman is my number two. Really? to me, she is doing the best job of what the current... That at the time version of poison ivy was you know this this very modern post uh, you know poison ivy that we have nowadays of someone who is you know very aware of, of the uh, aware of the environment very you know like and, and you know aware of her own sexuality and all that stuff like that's very that's still very modern like stuff that's only come out in like the last 10 15 years whereas this, you know, this is very much still cu- coming off the tales of the '60s Batman, off of the the animated series Batman. It's she's this like sexual temp- temptress, basically. And to me, at least from all the acting that's going around her, <laughs> which isn't good, but she's the one that is. If not taking her part serious, then at least trying the hardest.
0: I'll definitely disagree, but that's okay. Okay. Um, my number two is the aesthetics and the overall design and look of Gotham
1: City. Yeah, okay, okay. Gotham City to I me— like how, I like how we had, like, uh, the design choice in, like, visual aesthetics as, like, our number two, <laughs> basically.
0: Yes, because to me, um, it feels like a living, breathing comic book of, like— there's a lot of things in the Batman comics of just like the large over the top statues of the, or the weird looking buildings that you don't necessarily don't necessarily see in real life, but you see in the pages of a comic book. Like there's that big where the observatory is of the guy more or less holding up the world as a big statue. Um, yeah. Or like the big sweeping monorails that we would see again in Batman Begins. Uh, but just the huge skyscrapers, the big buildings. It it did actually very much feel like a Gotham City, and I really appreciated that. Um, It looked great. Some of the color schemes at times looked a little wonky with, like, the neon colors and that weird gang or whatever. Um, But in terms of the overall aesthetics and the buildings and everything else, it felt like a living, breathing comic book. It was willing to accept the more out-there parts of a comic book adaptation um, and really embrace that, and I really liked how that looked for the design. Um, what's your number one? I'd be curious if we have the Mine, same one or not.
1: Uh, I, I doubt it, but to me, I think what for what they really were going for in this movie, I think they they not even in general, they succeeded. To me, Batman and Robin is Joel Schu- Schumacher looking at the at the Batman Mythos. In the in, in that you know early nineties time and going, Okay, instead of doing what you know the these other Batman movies have done, what can I do to modernize a story that's already been told? And that's the sixties Batman. And he I wouldn't be surprised if Schumacher was a big fan of that, of the sixties Batman, because this feels to me like a modernization of those. Those those comics that show it feels like okay, what can we do to bring the '60s Batman up to speed to what's going, happening right now? Yeah, which is I, why which is why you have things like the bat the Batman credit card. It's why you have people skating around. It, you know, it's it's the, the even the plastic lips thing feels like a, very much like a shark uh, a shark <laughs> shark away spray. You know what I mean? Like it, it feels fun and fantastical like like that 60s Batman and that like appealed so much to kids it would make sense if you're trying to do something different than the Batman feels up films up to the time that's what you would go with
0: oh i completely agree of uh, like it definitely feels like i said last week it feels like a sequel to the 66 movie and yes. i think the reason people hate on this movie so much is because it wasn't what was previously before of Mm -hmm. it supposedly exists in the same universe as the 89 Batman movies. And people love that one. And I think they hate it this because it's such a departure from that dark and brooding adaptation, but just in a vacuum by itself, it's not the worst movie, not like poorly made or anything. It's just that it wasn't what people wanted at the time. And you're right. It does feel a lot like those 60s Batmans. And in that regard, it is, like, so spot on. There's certain shots that feel like they rip ripped right out of the show of, like, there's certain weird, like, Dutch angles, which was definitely a mm-hmm. thing from the 60s TV series. Um, the random celebrity cameos by, like, Coolio. Yeah. That was definitely a thing from the 60s TV show was having a bunch of random famous people show up for no apparent reason. Um, The over-reliance on villains, the 66 movie had four villains, this had three. Um, Yeah. This, as a love letter to the 60s Batman, I completely agree. It's a great love letter to that 60s Batman. I think people just don't like it because it wasn't what they wanted at the time. Exactly.
1: I mean, even something as simple as how the fight scenes happen, outside of the the words "Bamf" and POW popping out onto the screen, that's literally how all the fights happen.
0: Like taking, for example, when Robin comes into the first fight, it leaves a bat
1: symbol in the wall. Yes. Like, like that's it's not like meant so, to be taken serious. Yeah. It's, it's so sixties. It's so early Batman. It's so like, let's make a comic for kids. Cause that was like, that was what comics were back in the day. Like they, they were, they were for kids. They weren't these things to be taken seriously And then, you know, I mean, thankfully, we've had some very mature writers coming along and creating incredible stories, but comics wasn't always that way.
0: Exactly. Um, And my number one is something very, very different. And you brought it up. You said Uma Thurman was your best performance in the movie or the one that stood out to you the most. I disagree. To me, there's only one good performance in the entire movie. And that's Michael Goff as Alfred. Oh, true. Dude, as soon as the movie starts, you got that terrible dialogue of, I want the car. Chicks dig the car. This is why Superman works alone. Like, those two are in their own separate universe. But then as soon as they go off to do their own adventures, you can immediately see that something's wrong with Alfred. And I attribute that 100% to the actor of just like, oh, something, something's not right here with Alfred. And he absolutely brings his A game into this. The actor was so so good. Of uh, he's acting in a completely different movie. Of like his scenes with everyone else immediately get better just because of his performance. Um, there's a scene that we'll talk about next week for good scenes in bad movies. Um, that's honestly and no joke here. It's probably one of the best scenes in the entire Batman franchise. And it's when – so for most of this movie, um, Alfred is dying, um, which is a concept that I actually really like the idea of that because in a lot of – almost all Batman stories, Alfred is just the constant. He's always there. But with him being an older guy, I think it's interesting for Bruce to have to wrestle with the fact that Alfred will not be here forever. Mm -hmm. And this is the only time we've ever seen him sick. We have Batman Beyond where he's just completely gone. But we never yeah. see him just struggling or dying. So it was nice to see him dying. But the scene in question I'm talking about is he's sick in bed. And it's just Bruce. It's not him and the guys of Batman or anything. It's just George Clooney's uh, Bruce. And they're discussing the merits of Batman. And he's just like, ever since your parents were killed, you've tried to do everything in your power to prevent people from dying. But And then Bruce is like, well... But I can't can I He's like no Death is going to happen either way But what is Batman But an attempt to stop death And it's like this genuine Actual heart to heart That feels like it belongs In a completely separate movie Of um, Up until the Christopher Nolan movies We hadn't had a great Interaction between Alfred And Bruce like that It was always just You're my butler You kind of do whatever I need you to instead of, no, you are my family and I'm worried that you may be gone from me soon. Um, Mm -hmm. and it was really, really well done. It wasn't just that scene, just the whole, his line delivery his just presence as a whole was excellent. And maybe it's because he's one of the only actors that's in all those original four Batman stories, but he was, he was in a different ball game for that entire movie for me of, the movie's not great, but as soon as Alfred's on screen, I'm more interested because I liked his performance a lot, and I just thought he was really, really good in it, and he brought the best out of other people.
1: Fair enough, and you know that's like it, I think that's that is the quality of of a good of a good entertainer. Yeah, I'm going to say that because I think that goes to that you know. That, go, that kind of level of, be, of entertainment goes to not just acting, but like professional wrestling before, you know, anything in general that you have to do in entertainment. If you bring up the level of quality from everyone around you, just by your presence being there, that says a lot to your skill.
0: Exactly. Um, any last minute thoughts
1: on Batman and Robin? not really i mean i think at its core is it a bad movie i honestly at this point would say no it's not a bad movie it's it's not a great movie no is (laughs) it one that i'll be watching anytime soon no yeah but does it is it does it do its job in trying to be faithful to certain aspects of of comics and meet Batman media Like any movie Any Batman movie movie would do Yeah, absolutely I think it, it does It works really hard To try to be faithful To certain To whatever Joel Schumacher's Vision of Batman was
0: Yes, it's not a great movie But I feel like at times It might be misunderstood For what it was Absolutely uh, Well, that'll about do it For our first five good things What would you guys like to see For our next five good things Or some other ones upcoming what are some of the worst movies you've ever seen that you would like to see us cover let us know in the comments below we always like hearing from you guys and as always if you like what you hear and you want to hear more subscribe to us on whatever audio platform you're listening to us on whether that's itunes spotify uh google Podcasts, or youtube and if you haven't already subscribe to us on youtube at uncharted media and as always stay sharp movie guys and gals